This afternoon, we will be looking at the sixth commandment, you shall not murder. We'll be looking at it through the lens of the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 40. But before we do that, we'll look in particular at two scripture passages. The first is Numbers 35, the verses 9 to 28. Numbers 35, the verses 9 to 28. And after that, we'll be reading from Matthew 5, the verses 21 and 22. So you'll be able to find Numbers 35, the verses 9 to 28, on page 198 of your pew Bible. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you cross the Jordan into the land of Canaan, then you shall appoint cities to be cities of refuge for you that the manslayer who kills any person accidentally may flee there. There shall be cities of refuge for you from the avenger, that the manslayer may not die until he stands before the congregation in judgment. And of the cities which you give, you shall have six cities of refuge. You shall appoint three cities on this side of the Jordan, and three cities you shall appoint in the land of Canaan, which will be cities of refuge. These six cities shall be for refuge for the children of Israel, for the stranger and for the sojourner among them, that anyone who kills a person accidentally may flee there. But if he strikes him with an iron implement so that he dies, he is a murderer, and the murderer shall surely be put to death. And if he strikes them with a stone in the hand by which one could die, and he does die, he is a murderer, the murderer shall surely be put to death. Or if he strikes him with a wooden hand weapon by which one could die, and he does die, he is a murderer, and the murderer shall surely be put to death. The avenger of blood himself shall put the murderer to death when he meets him. He shall put him to death. If he pushes him out of hatred or while lying in wait, hurls something at him so that he dies, or in enmity he strikes him with his hand so that he dies, the one who struck him shall surely be put to death. He is a murderer. The avenger of blood shall put the murderer to death when he meets him. However, if he pushes him suddenly without enmity or throws anything at him without lying in wait, or uses a stone by which a man could die, throwing it at him without seeing him so that he dies, while he was not his enemy or seeking his harm, then the congregation shall judge between the manslayer and the avenger of blood according to these judgments. So the congregation shall deliver the manslayer from the hand of the avenger of blood, and the congregation shall return him to the city of refuge where he had fled, and he shall remain there, that is, in the city of refuge, until the death of the high priest who was anointed with the holy oil. But if the manslayer at any time goes outside the limits of the city of refuge where he fled, and the avenger of blood finds him outside the limits of his city of refuge, and the avenger of blood kills the manslayer, he shall not be guilty of blood, because he should have remained in his city of refuge until the death of the high priest. But after the death of the high priest, the manslayer may return to the land of his possession. We'll next be turning to Matthew chapter 5, the verses 21 to 22. 
This portion is Jesus reflecting on this very same command during his famous Sermon on the Mount. You'll be able to find that on page 1115 of your pew Bible. Matthew 5, the verses 21 to 22. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. So here Jesus addresses the question of the heart, showing that murder extends to the inclination of the heart as well. The seeds of murder are planted there already. We'll look at this a little bit further in the reading of the Heidelberg Catechism. God's Word is summarized in Lord's Day 40. And you'll be able to find that on page 555 of your book of praise. What does God require in the sixth commandment? I am not to dishonor hate, injure, or kill my neighbor by thoughts, words, or gestures, and much less by deeds, whether personally or through another. Rather, I am to put away all desire of revenge. Moreover, I am not to harm or recklessly endanger myself. Therefore, also, the government bears the sword to prevent murder." But does this commandment speak only of killing? By forbidding murder, God teaches us that he hates the root of murder, such as envy, hatred, anger, and desire of revenge, and that he regards all these as murder. Is it enough, then, that we do not kill our neighbor in any such way? No. When God condemns envy, hatred, and anger, he commands us to love our neighbors as ourselves. To show patience, peace, gentleness, mercy, and friendliness towards him. To protect him from harm as much as we can. And to do good even to our enemies. So far. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. When was the last time that you were angry? So angry, in fact that you said something you regretted, and maybe you worded something in a way that could have been thought about before you said it. Proverbs 29 verse 11 says, A fool vents all his anger, but a wise man holds it back. Now, this isn't to say that a wise man suppresses his disappointment or his feelings, but rather that he expresses it differently, more carefully, righteously, graciously, constructively. The problem is that as sinful human beings, we're prone sometimes to let it all loose, let it all burst out. And it might not be with a raised voice. It can be with a very reasonable tone of voice. But the moment that it comes out, you realize that for a moment of time, your feelings were in control of you rather than you being in control of your feelings. And you just vented like a fool. 
Anger, frustration, and feelings expressed this way can be very damaging, and the effects can last quite a while, though you yourself might not have thought it was a big thing, sometimes fixed up five minutes later and forgotten about. But the Bible doesn't agree. Proverbs, as we saw, describes it as acting like a fool. Jesus Christ goes even one step further. He points out that not only is it the act of the fool, but it points to a deeper problem, a problem of the heart. A heart that's inclined, as our catechism says, towards envy, hatred, anger, desire of revenge, as opposed to one that's inclined to love our neighbor as ourselves and showing peace, patience, gentleness, mercy, and friendliness towards them to protect that person from harm as much as we can and to do good even to our enemies. In Matthew 25, the verses 21 to 23, Christ says at the end of the day, murder is a matter of the heart. What ends at murder begins a long time ago with anger and resentment. It's with this in mind, this background in mind, Christ's perception of murder in mind that I want us to reflect on our passage today. When we think about how Jesus Christ looks on our unrighteous anger, then the work of our high priest becomes so much the better. So today we'll look on the fat passage that we're focusing on in particular, Numbers 35, the verses 6 to 29, under the following theme, Redemption in the Death of the High Priest. Now in Israel, at the time when Moses was writing the law of God, human nature wasn't too different than it is today. People would have had this same unrighteous anger, this same seed of murder in their hearts. And many of them would gladly water that seed and watch it grow. This has been true from the beginning of the world. The very first murder was committed by Cain, the son of Adam. Adam, who was the first human being on this planet. Cain was jealously angry of his brother and he fed that anger and God warned him saying that Satan is crouching on your doorstep desiring to have you. But Cain didn't listen to God's warning. Instead, he fed that anger and resentment until it grew and grew and led him to murder. But God put a plan in place to deal with murder. Shortly after that, in Genesis 9, verse 6, God says, Whoever sheds man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God he made man. And ever since that day until the day of Moses, where Moses passed on the law of God, deliberate murder had been a capital crime. Why? Because when you took murder, you took something sacred. God had laid claim to that. Man was made in the image of God. And even after his fall into sin, his life is precious in the sight of God. Genesis 9 verse 6 comes after the fall into sin. Life is sacred and it belongs to God to give and to take as he sees fit. It's not man's job to make that call. 
And if he does do that, God will hold him to account. God will use his instruments in this world in order to carry out the penalty for that. In the day of Moses, God would use a kinsman, a close relative, to carry out this task in the nation of Israel. The man who would be named the avenger of blood would have the right to take that man's life, enforcing God's law. There was an exception, of course. The man who struck someone and killed him accidentally was given the opportunity to run to a city of refuge. The city of refuge was a safe place where this accidental killer could find sanctuary. In this city, the avenger of blood would not be allowed to touch him. But notice something interesting here. Look at how important God considers life to be. Even in the case of the accidental killing, the man who did it would still face consequences. If it was proved in front of the city elders that he killed someone accidentally, he could be kept safe in the city of refuge, but only ever to live his life within the city limits of the city of refuge. There were consequences. Why? Because even in this situation, God considers life to be sacred. This highlights the importance for us that God places on life, that God places on people who were created in his image. That person would not be allowed to return to his or her normal life until the death of the high priest. Now, in some cases, that would be a shorter period of time if the high priest was old. But that could be quite a number of years away as well. Your banishment would always be a reminder that your actions, however accidental, your actions, however accidental, took a life. Just as it impacts the rest of that family for a lifetime, the family of the person whose life you took, it, just as it impacts them for a lifetime, so you too will have it impacted, will, will be impacted for a lifetime. But it won't be for your lifetime. With the death of the high priest, God gives a picture of what's coming. With the death of the high priest, the wrong is atoned for. The high priest's death gives atonement for the sin of unintentional murder. Now let's take a step back to think about all of this. In, in light of the way that we saw Jesus describe murder as unrighteous, or unrighteous anger as murder in one's heart, Such anger is destructive. An accidental killing is just that. It's an accident. Even there, however, there are consequences. On the other hand, anger is deliberate. We allow it and we nurture it. 
It eats up inside, and it has a bad effect on those who are around you. It leads to bitterness. It might not kill in big ways, but it does kill in little ways. You doubt this? Just look at the joy killed in the life of a child who is constantly snapped at in little ways because of the anger of a parent. A child who is constantly belittled because of the anger and resentment in the heart of a parent. Compare this to the flourishing and the blooming of a child who is constantly and faithfully built up by his or her parents. Those parents who restrain their anger and raise up their child with patience, peace, gentleness, mercy, and friendliness, protecting them from harm as much as they can, doing good to them. Unrighteous anger, Jesus teaches us, grieves God just as surely as murder does. This causes us to stop and take stock of our situation, doesn't it? If we see the impact that it has, that an unintentional murder has on the life of the one who took that life, And we see that as God's reflection on the consequences of that person's sin. Then how much more with our anger when we carry it intentionally? We ourselves may feel foolish after giving in to anger. But we need to realize that it is more than just feeling foolish. It grieves God. And it hurts those around us. And so there is a penalty that comes with it. We must bear the weight of our sin. The consequences of sin is death. Romans 6 verse 23. The wages of sin is death. But it goes on. It says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And here we see again that beautiful image that's brought in by this sentence that God gave to his people. The man was told to stay within the city of refuge until a death. But in that case, it was until the death of the high priest. Here too, we have a much greater high priest. With the coming of Jesus, we're given a perfect high priest. And one who doesn't just wash away our unintentional sins and our accidental sins. But one who washes away all of our sins. The picture that was given to us in a small way, in a shadow, with the death of the high priest in the Old Testament, now becomes a brilliant new reality with our great high priest in the new. Our sins are atoned for. With his death, we are, by his grace, allowed to walk free. No longer bound by the limits of sin, no longer walking under its lifelong consequences, we are free to live for him. We stand forgiven. 
we stand washed clean of the guilt, free to leave behind our anger, our bitterness, and resentment, free to refocus our lives and our thoughts to live as image bearers of Christ, to live showing patience, peace, gentleness, mercy, and friendliness, even in response to the wrongs that are directed our way. But more than that, we are equipped by his spirit to be able to walk in the footsteps of Jesus Christ, to be able to follow him in the power that he grants us. This afternoon, we celebrate this once more as we take part in the Lord's Supper. Let's remember this redemption, this freedom that has been bought for us through the death of our high priest. Let's remember that the consequences of our sin does not, at the end of the day, lie on us and our own death, but that he in his death has borne it for us. Let's remember that and give him the glory, striving to live our lives in his strength and walking in his footsteps. Amen.